Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church Podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and His church, grow in faith and understanding of God's Word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Take your Bibles and open to Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25. We are continuing our study this morning through the book of Exodus. And I want to review a little bit because we've, we've come to this point, kind of a, a little bit of a turning, something different happening. And I want to remind you before we kind of get into the specifics of this text of exactly what's happening because there's a bigger picture at play. One of the things I love about preaching through a book is that we get the opportunity to see the nuances, the, the detail, but we also get a, a better understanding of the big picture, right? So for just a few minutes, I want to take kind of a 30,000-foot view of the Scripture, remind you of kind of where we've been, look to where we're going. Remember, we talk about the story of Exodus. We talk about the children of Israel. These are not isolated accounts. These are not individual stories that are, that are removed from the grand story. In fact, there's a bigger story at play from the beginning. And we talked a little bit about that last week. We kind of got into this idea a little bit last week as we move into the creation of the tabernacle. Right at this point, the children of Israel have been wandering through the desert. The Lord has led them. He's given them the Ten Commandments. But remember now, we kind of talked a little bit last week about how the presence of the Lord had been removed from the people. Right? Genesis 1 and 2, God created Everything was good. The Lord walked with Adam and Eve. The Bible says in the Garden of Eden, sin entered the world and the Lord removed his presence. And so what begins to happen now with the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant from last week, the things we're going to see in the next several weeks, God is now reestablishing, he's restoring that relationship. And so last week we looked at the Ark of the Covenant and we talked about how God was creating this place for worship God was creating this, this symbol of his holiness, <coughs> excuse me, built into the Ark of the Covenant. God was creating a way for forgiveness with the mercy seat, right? And, and how he was already showing that the blood of the perfect sacrifice sprinkled on the mercy seat would atone for the sins of the people, right? And so we're, we're already understanding that God is restoring, God is reestablishing, God is fixing this relationship that will be fulfilled in Jesus and ultimately when we live in heaven one day with the Lord in his presence, right? So the Ark of the Covenant was kind of symbolic of that. Now, just a, uh, just a confession to let you in a little bit on the, on the camp family life. I love the Ark of the Covenant. I love the history of it. Uh, I love the story of it. I love the study of it. And truth be told, if you were honest, uh, last Sunday night, if you'd stop by my house about 9 o'clock, my kids are too old now to make them do anything, right? They're teenagers. But I can strongly encourage. And so dad, uh, last Sunday night, dad strongly encouraged the whole family to watch Raiders of the Lost Ark. And so if you'd have come by my house last week, about 9 o'clock, I was sitting in my Indiana Jones hat, uh, thinking about the whip and all the cool things. And my kids saw it for the first time and really loved it because it's a really cool story, right? But it paints a bigger picture picture of what the Lord is up to here. Right, he's got this plan. And I, I just want to take that idea just for a second and establish it in your heart, right? 
Your, your life is not these individual isolated events. God has got a grand plan for your life. Do you understand that? He's working in your life. And you've got to follow him and trust him and sometimes take a step back to see what he's doing. Right. So last week, the Ark of the Covenant, God is reestablishing. He's creating this tabernacle so he can reside among his people. God's going to continue to give instructions for the furnishings. Now, we haven't gotten to the tabernacle yet. That's upcoming in the next few weeks. But God's going to give instructions for the furnishings that will go within the tabernacle. So let's jump right in this morning. Exodus chapter 25, beginning in verse 23. Last week, the Ark of the Covenant. This This week, some new furnishings. So verse 23, the Lord speaking to Moses. You shall make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its breadth, and a cubit and a a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold around it. You shall make a rim around it a hand breadth wide and a molding of gold around the rim You shall make for it four rings of gold and fasten the rings to the four corners at its four legs. Close close to the frame, the rings shall lie as holders for the poles to carry the table. Now pause for a second. Remember, God's saying, let's build a table. Let's put some rings on it. We're going to put some poles through it. Why? Because everything has to be able to be carried. The tabernacle is mobile. The Ark of the Covenant is mobile. The the table is mobile because they're wandering through the desert. They're slowly making their way to the promised land. Verse 28, you shall make the poles of acacia wood, overlay them with gold, and the table shall be carried with these. You shall make its plates and dishes for incense and the flagons and the bowls with which the poor drink offerings. You shall make them of pure gold. Now watch, 30 is important, right? You shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. So God's saying, you need to build this table, make it out of acacia wood. Here are the dimensions, the height and the width, the size. Overlay it with pure gold. Put some rings on it. We're going to be able to carry it around. But the whole point, now watch, the whole point, the intent, the purpose of this table is verse 30. So you can put this bread of the presence on the table before me regularly, right? The presence of of the Lord. The bread is going to remind the people of the presence of the Lord. So here's the first truth I want you to get. Number one this morning, we should live in the Lord's provision. We should live in the Lord's provision, right? Now the Bread of presence is going to remind the people of the presence of the Lord. But it's also, and this is significant, it's going to point to his provision. Now remember, this is a grand narrative, right? This is a big picture. This is a 30,000 foot view. We start, start talking about this table and this bread. We want to understand how this fits into the greater story. And so you need to understand when the Lord's talking about furnishings and tables for the tabernacle, he's not like you walking in Ikea picking out furniture. That's not what he's doing here, Okay. He's not picking that color, and I don't know, what about, what do you think, honey? Do you like that one? I don't like this one. God is building these things with purpose. In fact, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, clues us in a little bit. I want you to listen to what Hebrews chapter 8 says, beginning in verse 1. Now, at the point 
And what we are saying is this. Here's what Hebrews says. We have such a high priest. He's talking about Jesus. One who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. A minister to the holy places. Watch. In the true tent that the Lord has set up, not man. Now the writer of Hebrews is thinking back to the tabernacle. He's looking ahead to Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is now in heaven. He's in the holy places. He's in the true tent, right? The true tabernacle created in the the words of the writer of Hebrews by the Lord, not by man. So he's contrasting where Jesus is sitting on the right hand of the Father in the true tent with the tabernacle of the book of Exodus. Now he's talking about the tabernacle. He's talking about things within the tabernacle. And then Hebrews 8, 5 says this. They, he's looking back to the tabernacle of the book of Exodus. They serve as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things, right? So this tabernacle is not just some random deal. It's not just some event that happened outside of the the picture of the Bible. It's this idea that God had a purpose and a plan. And everything he's doing in the tabernacle, everything within the tabernacle is a copy and a shadow of heavenly things, right? So we're looking ahead to exactly what the Lord's going to do. We're looking ahead to where one day we can live fully within his presence in heaven, in the Lord's presence, in heaven with Christ. And what the Lord's doing in the tabernacle is a picture of that. And so God's saying, listen, when I give you these dimensions and I give you these instructions, we're reminding you, right? We're reminding you of exactly what's to come, but we're also reminding you of what has been, right? Because the bread of the presence is going to be put on this table, This is a shadow of things to come, but we're also remembering when we place this bread in here that the Lord has provided for you, right? Being within the presence of the Lord means he's provided for you. And so we think about the manna. We think about how the Lord has led them through the wilderness. We we think about the plagues and how the Lord spoke to Moses through the burning bush and all the ways in which the Lord has worked and moved and provided for these people, right? So we have this idea of bread, thinking back to what the Lord has done and his provision and his presence. But we also understand it's a shadow looking ahead to what Jesus will one day accomplish. And so we read passages of scripture like this. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 32. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you. And by the way, this is just after he'd fed them, right? Jesus never did anything haphazardly. He's just fed the 5,000 plus all the women plus all the children. Probably twenty-five or 35,000 people had been fed. And he said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. He's speaking of manna, right? He's looking back into the Old Testament. He's looking to the book of Exodus. But my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus is speaking about himself here. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Right? Jesus was great about taking these miraculous moments, a physical healing uh, or, or feeding these people. He took these miraculous physical events and he turned them to the spiritual. 
So he kind of drew this large crowd of people. He fed them this food. Then we had a chance to teach them. He turned it from the physical into the spiritual. And he helps them understand, listen, the true bread that comes from heaven is me. I'm the bread of life. And when you eat this bread, you'll never hunger and you'll never thirst, right? Jesus says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, bread for us today is, is uh, good, but not a big deal, right? I mean, we eat a meal, and maybe it's got bread, maybe it doesn't. It's certainly part of what we do, but a lot of times for us, it's not the, the main course. It's not that big of a deal to us. I just had the opportunity a couple of days ago. Abby graduated. My second daughter graduated from high school, and she's been asking for a while to go to New York. She wanted to kind of experience that, so she asked me several months ago if I would take her to New York. And dads, when your teenage daughter asks to take you somewhere, I take her out of town, you take her, right? I was like, absolutely, I'd be happy to take you to New York City. So we went to New York for a couple of days, happy to be home, by the way. I'm happy to be home. <laughs> Loved it, great experience, a lot of cool stuff. Happy when that plane touched down in Atlanta last night, we were home, I felt the humidity, felt good. New York is different, and one of the things I learned about New York is that they love their bagels up there. Anybody been to New York and ever had a bagel in New York? <clears throat> okay, so you, you get what I'm talking about. I kind of knew it, but until you experience, and we found this kind of a deli or this coffee shop just a couple blocks from where we were staying, and we ate there several times, and they had a whole menu of bagels. I didn't know there were so many bagels. Different flavors, types, uh, salt, no salt, all sorts of different toppings, and you have to kind of order it. Uh, I just wanted a bagel with some cream cheese. I, you know, I, country gone city, I guess. I didn't know there were so many different types of bagels, and so I had to kind of work through the process of helping this person understand. I just want a plain bagel with some cream cheese on it. But for them, that bread is a big deal, right? They, they make a big deal about it, and they eat it, and it's a part of their culture. And, and we kind of get that, right? Because in the, in the first century, for these people, what Christ is talking about, bread was a big deal to them, not because it was a cool kind of a delicacy, but it was really all they had. They didn't have meat. Uh, if they got some meat or some fish in the first century, that was a big deal. So bread for them was, was a staple. You understand what I'm saying? It was a main part of what they ate. And so Christ kind of takes this idea of eating this bread physically and he turns it to the spiritual. He says, listen, if you hunger and thirst for me, right? If you, if you take me, I am the bread of life. And if you'll follow me, you'll never hunger and you'll never thirst again. Now, now it brings an interesting question here, right? Because we're talking about living in the Lord's provision, right? This bread of presence, placed on this table in the tabernacle, reminds these people of the provisions of the Lord. It looks ahead to Jesus, but it begs the question in our mind as we kind of apply this to our lives and as we live today, what sort of provision are we living under? And here's what I mean by that. Do we take pride or maybe hope or maybe comfort is a better word in the provisions that we provide ourselves or are we relying totally and wholly on the things of the Lord? Because right, it's very easy for us to live in our own provisions. Right? We got a good job. We got money. We've talked about this before. I talk a lot about this because this is the struggle of the American life. We all have probably everything we want. And so it's very easy for us if we're not careful to live under that provision and to find our comfort in our money or in our house 
or in our job. And it's important for us as believers, especially in the society we live in, it's important for us as believers to step outside of that and ask the honest question of ourselves. Are we finding our comfort and our hope and our provision in the things of this world or in the things of Jesus? Because for the people of the first century, the people that lived in the first century, the people that lived with Jesus, the people that lived in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, they didn't have the same sort of provisions we have. And they had to rely wholly and completely on the things of the Lord, right? The bread of presence reminds us that. We're reminded of being in the presence of the Lord. We're reminded of all he's done for us. We're reminded of all he's going to give and do in the future. Now let's continue. Look at verse 31 of Exodus 25, right? So we're there, there's, there's the table, there's the bread. You shall make a lampstand of pure gold. Now, just for the sake of time, I'm going to skip a few verses here. It goes into the detail. There's going to be all these different pieces. It's going to be uh, ornate. There's going to be flowers and, and different t- types of blossoms and branches. And verse uh, 37, you shall make seven lamps for it, and the lamp shall be set so as to give light in the space of it. Verse 39, it shall be made with all the utensils out of a talent of pure gold, and see that you make them after the pattern for them, which is being shown you on the mountain, right? So God gives them these directions for this very ornate, this beautiful lamp stand, this candle stand. The menorah is the word we would use now. Uh, the Jewish history, if you've seen pictures of the seven different pieces, the three on each side and then the one in the middle, God gives them the instructions to build this. Now watch, here's what's going on, right? The first thing, God is saying, listen, we need to live, first of all, under his provision, Right, the table and the bread of presence remind us that. Truth number two, we need to live in the Lord's light. It's not just about his provision. It's also about his light. Now, this lampstand would have been large, probably six or eight feet high, most scholars believe. Probably 75 to 100 pounds of gold. You can do the math. I, mean, no, I don't know what gold is an ounce right now, but that's a lot of money for that lampstand right? In today's world, very ornate blossoms and flowers and branches. And we're going to get to this point, right? We're not there yet, but I want you to understand we're going to get to this point where we're going to compare the tabernacle, the temple that the Lord is crafting in the desert with Eden, right? God's presence was established in Eden and then removed because of sin. He's reestablishing his presence in the tabernacle. And so a lot of what happens in the tabernacle is a reminder of Eden. And so we got this lampstand that looks like a tree that produces light. It's symbolic. It reminds us of the tree of life. We'll kind of get to that point. But God is creating within this tabernacle this reminder of who he is and a picture of who Jesus is going to be. Now, here's the interesting thing. You don't know this yet about the tabernacles. We hadn't gotten to that point. But when the Lord gives them instructions about how to build this thing, he tells them there, there are several layers of uh, animal skins, right, that you have to put over this tabernacle, over this tent. And you're going to cover it, and you're going to cover it, and you're going to cover it, and, you're gonna, and there's layer upon layer upon layer. And so most scholars, when they study that and they read it, they would say to you that the first uh, tabernacle, the first worship service, the first sanctuary, the words you want to use there would have been pitch black inside. No light. 
There were no windows, there were no doors. And so for the vast majority of the time, until the priest came in there, there was no light at all. So there's, there's this idea that this table a lamp stand, this candlestick stand that was created based on the specifications of verses 31 through 40 was the only source of light, right? So there's this interesting connection as we think about Jesus. And remember, Jesus comes and talks about being the light of the world. In fact, John 1 says, in him was life. The light was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There's this interesting idea of the light of Christ shining within the darkness. Now, just kind of take that idea, hold it over here just for a second, and let's think about the modern world we're living in. If you've paid attention at all this last week to the events of our country, especially out in Texas, you understand, if you didn't already know this, that we live in great darkness, right? We've seen it. And that's a horrific example. There are countless others. And there will be more. So we, we, we get that we live in this idea of darkness. We, we get that there is an evil that is very prevalent in our world. Here's what we need to understand. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are the light. Do you understand that? Now, there's a lot of things that are going to be said in the future about how to change things and rules and laws and legislation and all that stuff matters, fine. But ultimately, it's the light of Christ that wins the day. And I'm telling you, man, and and I'll I'll stand right there with you. I'm not preaching at you. I'm, I'm talking with you here. If we don't do something about it, nobody else will. We cannot expect, we cannot expect laws or politicians or actors or celebrities or whatever to fix problems of evil. It's only through the light of Jesus. And we're reminded in this passage of Scripture, it's through the light that we see. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now I need to finish this thing up, right? So we're, we're seeing, we're seeing clearly through the furnishings of the tabernacle. We're living in the presence of the Lord here. We're reminded of his provision through the bread and manna, looking ahead to Jesus as the bread. We're living in his light, reminding ourselves that we live in great darkness and it's only through the light of Jesus Christ that truth will be illuminated and things will change. And then truth number three, we need to live in the Lord's hope. Because we live under his provision, because we live under his light, that should lead us to this place of living out the hope of the Lord. And so the challenge for you is this, man, you go to work, well, you won't go to work tomorrow morning, Tuesday morning, maybe you go to work tomorrow, most people won't, you'll go Tuesday morning to work. Are you living the light of of Christ, Because it's very easy, man. It's very easy to be a naysayer. It's very easy to be negative. It's very easy to complain. We've all been that person. We've all been that person. The, the world doesn't need any more complainers. The world needs bearers of light and hope, right? The world is very short on hope right now. And we have been given the truth. Right? We've got the market cornered on hope we got the market cornered on real joy 
and real peace. And Christ says, listen, I've given you this light. You're living under my provision. You're living under my light. You need to live under my hope. You need to share it with all the world, to anybody that will listen. Because here's what we understand about the light. It will lead you out of darkness. It will lead you out of sin. It will lead you out of sorrow. It will lead you out of addiction. It will lead you out of sadness. Looking ahead to the future, one day Isaiah 60, 19 says this. Listen. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. We have the provision, we have the presence, we have the light, we have the hope. Are we living for Jesus? Let me pray for us. Thank you, Lord, for your glory and your majesty and your beauty. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for this beautiful picture, Lord, that you've painted for us as we weave this together, Father, and you make it clearer and clearer each week. Your plan is unfolding. That started from the beginning of eternity, Father, and will last all the way through until we see you one day in heaven. Help us understand, Father, we're, we're part of that grand story. We've got a role to play. And so use us, Father, encourage us, challenge us, help us to remember very clearly we're living under your provision, Father. We're in your presence. We have the light. We have the hope. Send us into the world. Allow us to share that light with anybody that will listen. Do great things for the sake of your kingdom. And we'll give you all the praise and the honor and the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.